Welcome back to the program. How many of you have been asked recently to name your favorite or most influential books? It's a process that's been all the rage on social media. And while such lists have been around for a long time, perhaps what inspired this flare-up is my guest Pamela Paul's weekly Q&A with authors and journalists in the Buy the Book feature in the Sunday New York Times, a feature which is an all-access pass into the private world of these authors as they reflect on their work, reading preferences, inspirations, and recommendations. Now she brings together 65 of these exchanges in their uncut and original form in Buy the Book, Writers on Literature and the Literary Life. Pamela Paul is the editor of the New York Times Book Review, having previously served as Features Editor and Children's Book Editor. She's an award-winning author and journalist who writes about social and cultural issues, demographic trends, consumer culture, psychology, health, and family. It is my pleasure to welcome Pamela Paul back to this program to talk about by the book. Pamela, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. Why do you think that there is renewed popularity in, in these lists of favorites that people have been talking a lot about lately? Well, you know, I think social media has played a big part in it because, you know, it used to be that you would wait for that cocktail party to have that cocktail party chat or uh, by the water cooler to talk about books that you like. But um, in the sort of new economy, first of all, you might not be at a water cooler. You might be working alone at your desk. You might not be in an office. Um, And also, I think online, people are really sharing a lot of, there's like a sort of fan culture online, not just with books, but with movies, with websites, with video games. And so I think people are interested in, you know, having that conversation. Do you think that part of it also is an insecurity that people have about their artistic preferences and they need reinforcement in some ways from other people in order to feel sure about what they think? You know, I don't think so as much. I think that, you know, if anything, I think that the online culture has allowed people to kind of revel in their the, the particularities of their own tastes and then to share those idiosyncratic likes and dislikes with someone else. So if you like hard-boiled crime, you know, whereas you might think um, in a previous era, like, oh, I don't know anyone else who likes this, you can find a blog or um, people on Twitter talking about their favorite hard-boiled, uh, hard-boiled crime books. Um, and so I think that, that actually, no, I think that what might be happening is that there is such a glut of information that it's hard to find um, what's really good. Um, and so people crave a kind of clarity amid all of the, the clutter and glut of recommendations and information out there. Of course, the other side of that is this long tail idea and what we've seen in certain aspects of the culture where people are then only attracted to things that they know they like and it limits their choices, it limits their opportunities for exploration or their desire for exploration. Right. There's there's kind of the Fox Newsification of everything <laughs> where, you know, you can get in a little echo chamber where you're um, talking to people with like likes um, and, you know, like dislikes, and that's all you're hearing. But I think that, that by and large, um, there's a real openness to a lot of the the dialogue about books. And I think, you know, even the Amazon recommendation engine, although it might not necessarily work for everyone, builds on that idea of like, well, if you liked this, perhaps Mm -hmm. you would like this. Um, And so I think what readers 
enjoy about by the book is that you're getting that that recommendation sort of not ne- ne- you know not from an anonymous source online or not from sort of just anywhere but getting it from perhaps a writer or an artist or a musician who you really appreciate and whose insight you would recommend and as it relates to by the book your your weekly column and of course this co- collection of 65 Q and A's that are part of by the book the book does it in some way enhance our celebrity culture? Does it turn authors into celebrities? And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is perhaps less relevant. To what extent does it impact how we look at these authors and how we view their work? Well, first of all, I like that, that buy the book, the book, <laughs> <laughs> because I've been saying buy the book, book, which doesn't sound as good. Um, you know, I don't think that um, that that we overly view authors as celebrities. I mean, in fact, I think it would be great if we did see them more as celebrities because I think, you know, writers um, have many, most of them have done something uh, of notable accomplishment, which is to write and get a book published, something that a lot of people would like to do. I think if anything, um, it seems now that it's easier to relate to authors and to feel like you know them, again, because they are... um, more accessible. Most web, most authors have a website. They have a way of reaching them. You know, the days when you have to, in order to sort of reach an author directly, you would have to write a snail mail letter, send it to the publisher, hope that the publisher might then send it to the author, and that perhaps then the author or the author's assistant, you know, depending right. on how big the writer <laughs> is, uh, might open up that letter and respond to it, whereas now you can kind of get in touch with an author directly, whether it's on Twitter or their website. I think that there's um, a genuine accessibility when it comes to writers and their readers. And do you think that there's any issue with that as it relates to making the work about the individual as opposed to just the work when we didn't know as much about the individual? You know, it's interesting. I think writers differ so much in terms of how the relationship they want to have with their readers. There are certainly writers who just want the book to stand for itself. They don't even necessarily like talking about their writing. They don't, um, you know, they, 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 you know, their automatic response to any question might be like, well, just look in my book. I wrote it much better here. Um, Because a lot of writers, I think, are inherently introverts. Um, They are people who like to be alone um, writing. Now, of course, that's not all writers. You know, there are examples like people like John Green, um, the YA author who has a tremendous presence um, online and who is very accessible uh, to his readers and enjoys having that constant back and forth and discourse. So I I think it depends a lot on the writer. Of course, part of it is also the importance today of promotion and the writer's engagement in self-promotion in order to make his or her work stand out from so much else that's out there. Yeah, it's a very, very noisy um, environment in terms of of the media. It's kind of a free-for-all. And unfortunately, because there are so many fewer bookstores um, out there, um, especially in, in rural areas, you know, people don't necessarily get exposed to different kinds of books in the way that they they might previously. I mean, it used to be that if you walked into a bookstore, even if you had one book in mind, that you would see other things out on the front tables. You might chat with people who work in the bookstore, with other customers, get recommendations. And that's what I think has gone away, unfortunately, to a certain extent, and why I think people crave um, information uh, about uh, books they might like from different venues. As it relates to promotion and how authors 
need to project their own image out into the marketplace. When you talk to these authors for buy the book, the, the long form, the short form, whatever, to what extent do you think that they're telling the truth, telling it like it is, as opposed to shading it for public perception? Well, again, I think that probably depends um, a bit on the writers. And one of the nice things about sort of seeing them all gathered uh, in one place is mm-hmm. you can see the very different approaches that writers take to it. Um, but I think that generally, um, when you're talking about book authors especially, um, they want to talk about books. You know, they're eager to share their recommendations. And um, I thought to a surprising degree, they're open to saying, like, I didn't understand Ulysses. I don't get it. Or I've never liked Hemingway. Um, I think that that people um, have a surprising amount of confidence in, especially if you're an acclaimed author, in in your own taste and in being comfortable with saying, you know, I just never, you know, I don't get science fiction. I don't understand why people um, like it. The other nice thing is that for um, not everyone who uh, is in by the book is an author. Some of the people are musicians or um, other kinds of public figures, politicians, is that People like to talk about what they read. You know, it's, it's the same way if you ask someone what their favorite movie is, it's going to lead to, you know, hours of conversation. People like to talk about the things that, that get them excited in the arts. And so it's different from, you know, a kind of interview where you're asking someone sort of deeply personal questions about their childhood. Right. Now, I should say that the interviews end up often being deeply personal because the books that you read as a child um, and the ones that stick with you, um, it, it's often very much about who you were as a, as a child and who you are now. Talk a little bit about that, because there does seem to be a fundamental difference, I think, for all of us when we talk about these things, between talking about things we like, things that were good or of interest to us, or even that stuck with us, as opposed to those things that really had a profound and lasting influence on us. Yeah, one of the questions that I ask on occasion, and I'm asking it more frequently, is if you have to describe one book that made you who you are today, what would that book be? And I think that that you know gets to um, a very uh, deep personal place for for uh, mm-hmm. someone, and it's not always that it was the greatest book, but it might be that you read the book at a particular moment in time. I mean, for me, um, the book that 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 when I thought about it, you know, the the answer I came up with was a book that I don't know that it's necessarily the greatest book, but um, the book is Cheaper by the Dozen, um, which I read as a young child. And um, I just became completely fixated. Um, This is a a book that came out uh, many decades ago um, by Frank Bunker Gilbreth Jr. and um, his wife. And it was about a man who tries to optimize his time, you know, in terms of efficiency. And so the title comes from the fact that he has 12 children and that they were cheaper by the dozen. Um, And it had this funny impact in terms of my thinking about uh, efficiency and about making decisions with sort of long-term goals in mind. Um, Is it the greatest work of children's literature? Is it the book I enjoyed the most? No, um, but it, it did have that interesting, long-lasting effect. And in many cases, I'm not sure that we even know what those books were until somebody asks the question, until we really do have to begin thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I think that, again, one of the reasons the, the column has become so popular is that people like to talk about this stuff, and they're not asked all that often. You know, some people might say, hey, what are you reading, or what's, you know, what's new? What have you liked lately? Um, but not everybody asks, you know, hey, if you could have 
three writers over for dinner, anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and, and why that group? Um, you get at something that, again, is, is not your typical conversation topic. And was there or has there been a fundamental difference in asking these questions to nonfiction authors versus fiction authors? And I know there's some that cross over into both. But is there any difference in terms of the kind of response that you get? Not really, honestly, because I, I, I mean, the questions are not the same for every writer. I do tailor them. Um, I recently um, interviewed James McPherson, the famous Civil War historian um, for By the Book. And while I did want to hear what he uh, thought was the greatest love story, and I wanted to know if he, you know, likes spy fiction or thrillers, I think what I wanted to know, and, and most readers of McPherson wanted to know, was, you know, what... What are the good books about the Civil War? What are the books that were, you know, that, that made you want to be a historian? What are the books that deal well with slavery and the African American experience in America? And those are the kind of things that that you want to hear from them, from someone like him. Talk a little bit about the process of narrowing this down to sixty-five for the book, as opposed to so many that you've talked to for the column over the years. And your concern, as somebody that deals with the, this stuff all the time, that those that were left out would somehow feel slighted. <laughs> well, hopefully there'll be a volume two. Uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily that we chose you know the absolute best um, because I, I think all of them are, are are quite wonderful in different ways. It was really about getting a nice balance um, to make sure that we had some people who write perhaps more commercial fiction, some literary names, um, some who work in different genre, people who are uh, come from different backgrounds um, or write, um, you know, as you said earlier, nonfiction versus fiction. So we wanted to get a nice mix so that, you know, you didn't feel like you were just getting, let's say, all the major literary heavyweights, but that you also had someone in there like Colin Powell um, or Sting. Were there some that you knew right away were going to go in this volume, ones that, that interviews you've done that you just remembered so vividly that you knew that one had to be in here? Oh, wow. Oh, see, now you want me to offend people because <laughs> they're going to have to um, select a few. Yeah, there were um, there were some writers that I I, I absolutely knew would um, make it in. Um, I would say um, Hilary Mantel. I think um, she's, of course, the two-time Booker-winning author of Wolf Hall and Bring Up the Bodies. And uh, I loved she had an answer um, to a question. I asked her um, what her favorite self-help books were, and she described herself as a self-help queen. And I just thought, who would have who would have known? You know, that it was it was so surprising that I, I definitely wanted to include her. Um Ann Patchett is another writer. I really wanted to include her. Um she's a bookstore owner in addition to being right. um a novelist and an essayist and uh she's just a real lover of books. I saw her interview J.K. Rowling at Lincoln Center um, when Rowling was uh, bringing out her first adult book, and they had such a great conversation about literature that I, I knew that her interview would be great. Um, Gary Steingart is always funny. Mm-hmm. He's always, and and he has great uh, eclectic literary taste. Um, so now I've offended the other 62, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> That's right. What do you learn from these conversations all the time? What what are the things that you come away with that are constantly surprising you and and really teaching you more about authors and literature and writing in general? Well, one of the great things for me is, you know, I work, obviously, as the editor of the New York Times Book Review. I get every new book that comes out in a given year, and it's always wonderful to see, you know, the, the new things that are coming down the pike. 
But many readers, um, and myself included, we read what's called uh, in the industry the backlist, the books that have been around for years. Um, and so I love finding um, writers who I admire, sort of the the um, works from the canon or works that are you know 50 years old but forgotten today that they recommend. So that for me. Um, is the best part. I think, you know, I read it in the same way a lot of other uh, list readers read it, which is for book recommendations. I mean, I, I find myself, um, you know, jotting down I, I, Catherine Boo, who wrote Behind the Beautiful Forever, mm-hmm. which is just an amazing book about um, poverty in India. I want to know, like, what does she consider to be good narrative nonfiction? Because for me, I mean, she is, she is the, the, the star of that genre. Was it different interviewing or talking to the Hollywood people? You know, you mentioned Colin Powell and some of the politicians that that are in here. There's also some Hollywood celebrity types in here. Yeah, you know, Brian Cranston is in here. Um, I actually met Brian Cranston on the set of the now defunct TV show Politically Incorrect in 2002 when I was on tour for my um, my first book, and uh, he, we were seated next to each other. Before I got on the show, I asked who I was going on with, and they said, well, you know, you're going with so-and-so and so-and-so, and and you're going on with the dad from Malcolm in the Middle, and I had no idea who he was, (laughs) Um, and um, I found, now, of course, none of us would be surprised, um, but in between um, the, the taping of the show, we chatted, and he was so smart and so funny and witty. And um, so I was really um, excited as a a big breaking Brad, uh, baking going to say that right this time, a big Breaking Bad fan um, to, to hear what he was reading. Um, and Sting is another person. Um, I, like you know many other people, were uh, not just a fan now, but I was really a fan when I was uh, growing up. Um, I had always heard through mutual friends and through people that um, he's a huge reader, and he is. He's a very literary um, guy, and, and, and he wrote a memoir that was highly acclaimed, and so it was great to hear um, his his recommendations. And the last thing I would say, because you brought him up, Colin Powell, um, I was really delighted. He was so um, humble. Um, mm-hmm. he's, you know, when I asked him why he wrote another book, um, uh, I said, what book made you want to write uh, your book? And he said, my checkbook. And uh, I, I found that uh, just charming. You've also got Arnold Schwarzenegger in here, speaking of Hollywood. Yes. <laughs> yes, I mean, again, it's totally surprising to, to 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 hear what he's reading, and and interesting too. I mean, when I asked him about his favorite childhood books, you know, he talked about being really scared mm-hmm. um, by some of the dark German fairy tales that he was read to uh, read aloud to as a child. I won't ask you to name names because this could really be embarrassing. But are there authors that that you've always wanted to talk to that you've done this Q and A with for buy the book? that you were just came away deeply disappointed. Oh, gosh, that's a terrible, you know. <laughs> As I say, you don't, um, don't name names. <laughs> no, I don't think I'm, I have been deeply disappointed in anyone because the truth is, is that even if I don't like the books that they recommend or I don't think that, that what they have to say is that interesting to me, I, I, I think that, you know, again, seeing the wide diversity of, of books that are published in any year, I know that there are tons of books that I have zero interest in, mm-hmm. but that some other potential reader is going to be really excited to hear about. Um, so, you know, I feel like, well, whatever my disappointment will be someone else's, you know, hugely exciting interview. And talk a little bit about the process that you go through from the original long-form conversations, the one that are in by the book, the book, 
as opposed to what you have to edit down to put them in the paper on Sunday? So the way I do it is, first of all, I give people more questions um, then, and they choose which ones they want to answer. And as a journalist, I would never, ever do that. You know, you got to, re- you know, as a reporter, when I'm reporting a story for the newspaper, you have to answer my questions, you know. Um, but with this, you know, if you ask someone, what's your favorite love story, and they really have zero interest in love stories and they don't have an answer, why do we want to hear that? You know, <laughs> so I really want to get people to talk about the things that, that they're passionate about. Um, so it makes sense for people to have a little bit of choice in terms of the kinds of questions they answer. And it also is very telling which ones they answer because if you ask everyone, you know, what's your favorite self-help uh, book um, and people don't answer, well, that says something, too, about them. Um, so once I have all of the answers, I, I feel very strongly I do something that is not often done in um, edited interviews, which is I do not edit within a question. So if I ask a question and the person gives a 10-paragraph-long you know, answer, I include the full answer. I don't just pick three paragraphs from that because I think that people put a lot of thought into their answers and you want to represent it in its entirety. So to get the um, full interviews, which run online in their entirety, into a print format in the newspaper, um, it's, it's really like a jigsaw puzzle because you have to kind of fit together the various pieces so they all get onto a page and also so that they kind of tell a story. So you want it to feel like you're going from one question to another, even if there were questions in between that didn't make it into the final interview. And finally, a question for you. Who would you have liked to have interviewed for Buy the Book that has since passed on that you, you will never have the opportunity to. But if you had to pick one, who would, who would you like that to be? Oh, wow. That's another hard one. Um, you know, I think that I would like to, um, there are some people that I would like to get when they are out of political office. So, um, you know, it, it's not practical right now to um, have uh, Barack Obama answer <laughs> it, but I would sure like to know what he read while he was in the White House. Um, uh, you know, usually presidents uh, reveal selectively among the titles they read, but it would be really interesting to, to hear from him um, once he's uh, all done what it was that he read while he was there. Pamela Paul, the book is By the Book, Writers on Literature and the Literary Life from the New York Times Book Review. Pamela, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back. <laughs> 